The past summer, I was interning at an engineering consulting company in Raleigh, North Carolina. I attended the Chinese Church and College Fellowship at Duke and NC State. While there, I saw the home community among the Chinese Christians and saw their energy and desire to share the gospel in secular environment. I was spiritually challenged, and my heart was burdened to reach out and get to know my fellow Chinese students at BGU that I didn't already know. When I came back to Greenville, I talked to Maxim and many others about starting a Chinese fellowship. I knew it was the work of God when people told me that God had been growing the same burden in them. So we prayed and decided to start building the fellowship. We had our first fellowship on September 1st, and we prayed for 20 people to come. And when more than 40 people came, we knew that God answered our prayer. Now we met every Friday for worship, message sharing, and having small group discussions. By the end of September, we grew to more than 50, and Chinese from the community and from Furman are now visiting as well. You might think everything is going so well, but just like Nehemiah cared for his people and then prayed, and then went back to Jerusalem to bring people together, to build the walls, question and discouragement came. We sometimes have the same challenges. I was discouraged by some people's comments and questions about the fellowship, but the recent chapel message on Nehemiah was really encouraging, and I know God is in control of everything. We are serving him, not ourselves. I'm just a cupbearer, and we don't have to be Bible majors to share the gospel or to encourage people around us. First Thessalonians 5.11, reminds us to encourage one another and build one another up. We can trust God to grow us as we encourage one another. Thank you. What a wonderful testimony. What are you doing for God? Have you thought through what God might use you to do? Something like Jemmy mentioned, are you trusting in God as you face difficult times or challenges or discouragement? Do they define whether or not you serve God? These, these are big questions. And Jemmy, thank you for your, your faithfulness and for allowing God to work through you. I love that. I'm just a cupbearer. Um, there's a sense in which that is the right way to view ourselves as servants of Christ. Take your Bibles and turn with me back to the book of Nehemiah. We're going to be at the end of Nehemiah chapter 5, beginning of chapter 6. For those who are visiting with us this morning on Mondays, we've been studying through the book of Nehemiah, and we've been doing it looking at the theme, life on mission. Nehemiah was a cupbearer, had a role to play, had a job to do. He was burdened by the need in Jerusalem that the people of God weren't worshiping God the way they ought to. And so he gets a commission and he goes, and for 12 years he accomplishes Incredible work in the city of Jerusalem, not just in building walls, but in building people. And then he returns back to his job. And so we get this idea of this was a unique time with a unique calling. And so he is living life on mission during that time. And we get the opportunity, I believe, of reading his journals and seeing the working of God in his life and thus applying it to ours as we endeavor to live lives on mission. Title of my message this morning is Wariness in Weariness, or Taking Care When You're Tired. How many of you 
are tired. See, the Holy Spirit knew exactly what you needed this morning. And I do hope that that is the case as we come to the Word. I really want to stand out in our thinking this morning this truth that we must internalize and personalize God's truth in order to persevere. We must internalize and personalize God's truth in order to persevere. We're going to see as we come to chapter 6 today how Nehemiah reacts to personal attacks that come in a time of weariness. And I want us to see that he perseveres because I believe he has demonstrated that he has personalized and internalized God's truth. Nehemiah successfully dealt with the people and their problem of internal sin. We saw that earlier in chapter 5. He has encouraged and strengthened the people through the trial of of an outside threat, and we saw that in chapter 4. And so we come to the end of chapter 5, and I want you to follow along with me as I read Nehemiah chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, in the 20th year, even unto the 2 and 30th year of Artaxerxes the king, that is 12 years, I and my brethren have not eaten the bread of the governor. But the former governors that had been before me were chargeable unto the people and had taken of them bread and wine, beside forty shekels of silver, yea, even their servants bear rule over the people. But so did not I because of the fear of God. Yea, also I continued in the work of this wall. Neither bought we any land, and all my servants were gathered thither unto the work. Moreover, there were at my table an hundred and fifty of the Jews and rulers, besides those that came unto us from among the heathen that are about us. Now that which was prepared for me daily was one ox and six choice sheep. Also fowls were prepared for me, and once in ten days store of all sorts of wine. Yet for all this required not I the bread of the governor, because the bondage was heavy upon this people. Verse 19, think upon me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. I want you to see really two simple points this morning, one from the end of chapter 5 and then as we look at chapter 6. First of all, I want you to see that Nehemiah was aware of his need. Nehemiah was aware of his need. He lays out for us a record of his own personal involvement while all of this work is going on. And I hope that you see that he doesn't step in and as a leader detach himself from what it is that God is wanting to do in Jerusalem. He actually intentionally engages himself, his servants in the work along with everybody else. But I want you to see as as he has guided the people in doing the work in the midst of the trials that we've seen in chapter 4 and chapter 5, that these trials were clarifying for him. At the end of chapter 5, we see Nehemiah rehearsing the personal details of being called to this great work. I think we see there, first of all, that he sacrificed for the project. He had every right to take what he refers to here as the bread of the governor or the compensation that he as governor could or should have received. But because he is sensitive to what is going on in Jerusalem, because he is there to motivate the people, and because he wants to see the work of God furthered, he sets aside his personal rights, if you will, in order for the work to be done. 
So he sacrificed for the project. But in the midst of that, then, I want you to see that he suffered with the people. He has a sense of what has been happening. He speaks, right, to the people abusing one another, violating God's law, enslaving each other to get ahead. And he actually does the opposite. He sets aside his rights, and he actually then pays a price. He is one that uh, mentions when the work was going on that he also worked and that he was one that worked so diligently along with the people that he also didn't change his clothes. He was engaged in the work. He takes his personal staff and he makes sure that all of them are engaged in the work. As we see this section coming out of the great trials that he has led the people through, Nehemiah, I believe, has to check his own motives and evaluate whether or not the task was worth all the bother. This is part of the struggle that the children of Israel were facing as they're trying now to build. Is it worth it? Is this worth all of this? And he answers that question with a resounding yes. This entire project was about the glory of God. It was about God being worshiped in the right way. And thus, in chapter 5 and verse 19, Nehemiah offers a very personal prayer, a heart cry, if you will, one that may be familiar to many of us in times of tiredness and trial. He says, think upon me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. Literally, he says, remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. Or if you will, God, I've done my best. Please remember now for the good that I have done. It isn't a selfish prayer. It could be read that way. But he's not praying a selfish prayer, I don't believe. He is praying in keeping with the promises of God that God would bless the work of his hands. And often a prayer like this is offered at a time of tiredness and weakness. God, I've done a lot and now I need your help. You see, living life on mission for the glory of God doesn't mean that you aren't going to get tired or maybe even weary. It doesn't mean that life won't be challenging. It doesn't mean that there won't be sacrifice or suffering. I think one of the greatest disservices to Christian maturity that has happened in our day is what has become known as the health and wealth or prosperity gospel. That somehow our faith is lived out in a transactional basis with God, and that when I live for God, then life is going to get easy, and life is going to be filled with blessing, and life will be filled with health and wealth, that's the name. That there shouldn't be anything difficult in life, that if I'm doing right, if I'm serving right, then, then life will get better for me, and when it doesn't, the only right answer to that is that I must be lacking in faith. If that were the case… There's something wrong with Nehemiah because Nehemiah sacrifices and suffers. And what you're going to see in chapter 6 is in the midst of his weariness and in the midst of his crying out to God, he actually is going to suffer personal attacks. You see, the question for the person who's going to live for God and His glory or live a life on mission is this, will I view the price of living for God as a cost? or an investment. And this makes all the difference when we are faced with answering the question, is it worth it? 
You see, if you look at living for God and it takes some sacrifice or it engages you in some suffering and it's just about what it's costing you, you will answer that question the wrong way. You see, this is a question that you will face in every great endeavor in your life. We'll face this question in many different arenas. You'll face this question as you continue pursuing your degree. There's some of you probably sitting here this morning, and you have said to yourself, is it worth it? You will face this question in your marriage, because marriage is going to test your selfishness, and marriage is going to require sacrifice. And there are times that in order to be transformed in the image of God through a right relationship in marriage, there are times that you suffer for someone and you suffer with someone. And this is how God makes two one flesh. But you're living in a culture where sacrifice and suffering are not something we invite. And thus, when marriage isn't ideal or perfect, or I'm not getting out of it what I thought I should get out of it, we ask the question, is it worth it? And the answer in the hollowness of our heart is, no, it's not. You will face this question when raising your children. You will face this question when difficulties arrive at your church. And Nehemiah, I believe, gives us an example of persevering. We'll see through the sixth chapter as these personal attacks come that there were truths, many of them just simple truths, but priority truths that he internalized in his own heart and it enabled him to rightly respond when the trials came. And that is how the perseverance was displayed. You see, then the Bible tells us in Psalm 119 that we are to treasure up God's Word in our heart that we might not sin against Him. I believe it is calling us to personalize and internalize God's truths in such a way that in the moment of testing and trial, we demonstrate a persevering faith by responding out of the storehouse of truth. So how you answer this question, is it worth it, will make all the difference in whether or not you actually live a life on mission. Missional living is not discovered in a problem-free life. Rather, it is discovered along the test-filled path of perseverance. It is here that the pursuit of the mission is used by God to make the man. You see, living life on mission for God's glory is as much about God's plan to accomplish His work in you as it is about you accomplishing something for God. Nehemiah goes to see the worship of God restored, and to do that, he realizes the city must be rebuilt. The walls have to be fashioned, and when we come to chapter 8, we'll see them undertake a gathering where now they bring back the Scriptures, and Ezra reads again. It's an incredible sense of accomplishment, but as Nehemiah stands there, not just are there now walls with gates, there is a man who is made more like his God. And this is the great plan of God in living life on mission. For you see, as you live purposely for God's glory, God displays His glory in transforming you to be like Christ through the work. And so it's right to cry out to God, God, I'm working really hard. Please help me. 
This should be a right and a frequent prayer that focuses our heart that I am in a point of weariness in the work, and God, I need your help to persevere. And that tunes my heart to my source of help. Nehemiah, I think, in this prayer demonstrates for us that he was aware of his need. But then secondly, I want us to look at chapter 6, and I want us to see that Nehemiah was attacked in his weariness. Don't be shocked by this. I want to challenge you with some just little thoughts, okay? Never make life-changing decisions when you are weary. Very few people quit when they're refreshed. Never make life-changing decisions when you are weary. Tiredness is a time to simplify and focus. Tiredness is a time to simplify and focus. There are some of you right now who are sitting in front of me and you're tired, and I want to encourage you, focus, which means open your eyes. There are some of you right now that you're facing trials. Your grades are not what you thought they would be. And you're tempted right now. I can tell you're tempted right now that you could use these few minutes to study. And I want to challenge you that the greater priority is that for a few moments you study to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And if you can't do that with your phone in your hand, put it in your pocket. Focus. It's all too easy to quit when the finish line is just around the next bend. And that's exactly where we find Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem. Walls are built, Nehemiah tells us. Notice in verse 1, he says, Now it came to pass when Sambalat and Tobiah, verse 1 of chapter 6, and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at the time I had not set up the doors upon the gates. They're almost done. And so these enemies carry out attacks. The first one comes, I believe, in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Verse 2 says that Sambalad and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Seems like a simple invitation. Here are two leaders, and now we have accomplished this work. Maybe I should go out and meet with them. Notice it says, but they thought to do me mischief, and I sent messengers unto them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Yet they sent unto me four times after this sort, and I answered them after the same manner. You see, the attack was distraction. There's some of you that are weary, and the finish line is just around the bend. Two weeks to Thanksgiving break, two weeks till the semester is over, and you are sitting in a time when you realize you could do more work than you've done up to this point. Or you could be really, really distracted and do all kinds of other things, make all kinds of other excuses. See, this attack was predicated on the idea that they could appeal to Nehemiah's pride and maybe even Nehemiah's purse, but the goal of the attack was to distract Nehemiah and in Nehemiah leaving, discourage the people. One of the things I'll tell you is in a time of need where you have much to do, when you fall prey to discouragement, 
or to distraction, you now interject discouragement. Why? Because you still have the same amount to do and you have less time than you did when you got distracted. It's a time to simplify and focus, and that's exactly what Nehemiah does. He says, I am doing a great work. Now, understand, at this point, the work wasn't as great as it had been, so he's not saying here, I'm doing a, I've got so much to do, I can't go. He actually says, this is the priority for me. I am focusing. This work matters, so I'm not going to be distracted. I'm going to challenge you in the mission of getting your education in these four years. It's time to focus. Set aside the distraction. Internalize the truth that what you are doing right now is a God thing. God called you here. God called you to train. God called you to get equipped. And at this point, it is hard. So simplify and focus. Second attack comes in verses 5 through 8. We see Sanballat, his servant, sends this person unto him in like manner now a fifth time with an open letter in his hand, which means it's going to be public. Wherein it is written, it's reported among the heathen, and Gashmu saith it, that thou and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause thou buildest the wall, that thou mayest be their king according to these words. And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee in Jerusalem. Can you imagine? Please go out there and Tell people how great I am, saying, there's a king in Judah, and now shall it be reported to the king according to these words, come now, therefore, and let us take counsel together. Then I sent unto him, saying, there are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. And what he does is he actually now creates a spectacle through speculation. I'm going to make it public what I think your motives are. In a sense, I'm going to spread rumors about you. Ever noticed that the times when rumors come, you're usually tired, vulnerable, just about had enough? Young people, can I challenge you in a campus like this? Be active agents for destroying rumors. God hates a talebearer. You know, we would help each other whenever we hear rumors or things about friends, and typically it's not what they did, it's why they did it. And we just say, really, I'm not sure about that. Why don't you and I go together and ask them why they did it? Rumors will end pretty quickly. It's one of the things that actually is most gutting to people that are trying to work really hard and do their best. When people speculate about your motives, now it's really easy to become very defensive. The motive was to disgruntle the people and to discourage Nehemiah. And how does Nehemiah respond? He responds with integrity. You know what? You can say that, but I want you to know, I know it's not true. I've lived in front of these people. I've sacrificed and I've suffered along with these people. They have seen me. And if they believe what you are saying, I've got a record of my testimony that I have lived with integrity and I have told the truth. And I'm going to stand on my integrity. Verse 9, for they all made us afraid, saying, their hands shall be weakened from the work that it not, be not done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. And so they come with intimidation. Try and scare Nehemiah and thus scatter the people. 
And you see Nehemiah respond with prayer and dependence. He immediately turns to God and he says, Oh God, strengthen my hands. What a response. He doesn't rise up. He doesn't argue. He doesn't fight. He doesn't stop the work and say, well, let me show you. He doesn't gather the people to himself. He doesn't strike back and he doesn't attack. And he actually turns to God in prayer and dependence. When you're unsure how to respond in any given situation, stop, take time, and make sure that you pray and then do what is right. Keep doing your work. Verses 10 through 12, we actually see an interesting attack. They invite him through a false prophet to come into the temple because people are coming to kill you in the night. Verse 11, and I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. He knew that he was not a man that belonged in the temple. That wasn't his role and it wasn't his office. Verse 12, and lo, I perceived that God had not sent him, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me, for Tobiah and Samballat had hired him, and the attack is one of deceit. And he responds with humility, and in response to the Scripture, he knew what he could and couldn't do. And then in verse 13, we see that there is enticement to do wrong, and he responds with wisdom. He responds with wisdom. This is why I say at the beginning, we must internalize and personalize God's truth because it'll matter most when we're weary. And I want you to see as I close what happens. Go with me to verse 15. So the wall was finished in the 20 and 5th day of the month Elul, in 50 and 2 days. And it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof, and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. What did Nehemiah do? He kept on working. He asked God for strength. He trusted God to vindicate him. And he gave God the glory. Young people, beware when you're weary. Take care when you're tired. Because then attacks will come and they may be very personal. The time to address them and deal with them is not when you're tired. It actually is ahead of time. By personalizing and internalizing God's Word so that you respond out of the storehouse of your heart with truth and integrity that allows you to persevere. Nehemiah didn't quit, but Nehemiah actually focused, simplified, and worked harder for the glory of God. I hope this encourages you today. Let's pray. Father, help us to walk with you. Put out of our minds the false ideas that when we live for you, life should be easy. And realize that while we are trying to accomplish something for you, that you're accomplishing your good work in us and making us more like your son. Help us to persevere, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.